Hey guys, and welcome to the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report presented by Great Days Outdoors Magazine, the first podcast to bring you the local fishing report for Alabama's lakes and rivers, whether it's good, bad, or ugly. I am, speaking of ugly, I'm your host, Brian <laughs> Sin, and with co-host Stephen Wisdom. Stephen, what's going on? Uh, you never cease to amaze me, man. <laughs> I, would, I didn't know where that was going. You didn't know what I was coming up with right good. there, did you? I'm great, man. I am, uh, I'm actually, I'm elated. I mean, that's a big word, but I don't know about where you guys are in the world or in Alabama, but I know at my house for probably the last Four or five mornings in a row, maybe a week. Been nice. Nah. <clears throat> I mean, fall is coming, baby. It's coming. And dove season open this weekend. I got to shoot some dove. Man, I love this time I of year. I did not I love this it. weekend, but I will tomorrow. Mm. Or I'm going to shoot towards some anyway. Oh, a little weekday hunt. A little I weekday see, hunt. I see the hustle. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Man's got to do what he's got to do. That's right. Well, I'm I, I'm glad to be here today, man. And it's it really is. Things are uh, headed in the right direction. I love this time of year. Going yeah. into this time of year, it's not there yet. Still got to cut the grass another time or two. Or three. Or three. But I have been on the phone with my Kansas landowner, landowner today. And I want to hear just, that mess, just getting me fired up to get, get in that tree stand and sling an air out of big buck can't in Kansas. Can't even get an invite sure. nowhere. Can't get an invite on a dove hunt. Can't get an invite fishing. Can't get an invite to the Kansas. Things ain't right. I don't want to hear that mess, man. I don't hear that <laughs> well, mess. let's not talk about it. Let's talk about fishing. Yeah, that's what we're And we got a great show lined up today. And as, as you guys or listeners know, once a month, we try to do the management minute with uh, Southeastern Pond Management, Norman Latino. Norman, what's going on, buddy? Hey, guys. <clears throat> I'm, I'm feeling that fall in the air, too. In fact, I I want up you guys. We actually burned a little outdoor fire Saturday and Sunday evening. Uh, nah. It was so nice down in the low 60s. Felt that like is beautiful. Turned air conditioning on outside. Heck yeah, man. That's nice. so, man, yeah. that's so good. This, I mean, over the next couple of weeks, it it really is an amazing time of year. You know, unfortunately in Alabama, it doesn't last long. It kind of just going by. But it'd be amazing if we had about three months of just. Nice fall weather. Oh, man, it would so. be. I, I got off the phone with my buddy in Colorado today, 34, 36 degrees. Oh, <laughs> golly, man, it'd be yeah. so nice. <laughs> no, I love that time of year when we start making fires in the evening and putting fire back in the fireplace in the house. And God, man, I know. I'm excited. My favorite time of year, fall. Yeah. Ain't no doubt about it. You know what else is good in the fall? Fishing. Fishing, man. I, I mean, it just, it's awesome. It turns on. It really is. And I know everybody's glad. I'd be glad for that time of the year to get one. Well, there's nothing else. The fishing turns on, but also just the fact that you can get out there in the boat and stay there uh, without burning up is a big plus too. Don't you think, Norman? No doubt about it. In fact, we did a little bit of that this weekend too. Well, good, good, good. Yeah, good question. Well, Norman, this time of year, talking about the time of year and how we fi- get fired up about about fall with the fishing picking up, obviously hunting season coming and getting closer and just being able to enjoy being outside a little bit more. In the fish management world, what's going on this time of year for you guys? It gets kind of hectic this time of year for us. Fish get frisky and uh, we, we, we stock a lot of forage this time of the year, and really that's our priority, uh, trying to get those get the, that forage introduced before it gets too, too awful cold, maybe even get another spawn uh, off of them after we stock them. We stock uh, threadfin shad, 
this time of the year. Of course, we stock threadfin shad in the spring and summer as well. But we get back into stocking intermediate bluegill uh, this time of the year. Uh, those things, we, we stock them in the spring, which is great. They, they, they reproduce all summer long. But starting usually around May, it's, it gets warm. They just don't handle very well. So we, we leave them alone in the ponds and feed them and grow them. And, and we've got a, a nice little window in the fall where we can handle them safely again, where it doesn't stress them too badly. So we spend a lot of time in, in late September and in, in the month of October stocking threadfin chat and, and intermediate bluegill. So when you talk about intermediate, what is an intermediate bluegill? Yeah, that, that's a great question. So we throw that term around frequently. And intermediate in our world, we're referring to a piece of food to, to in particular relating to a bluegill that's about three to five inches in length. And and there's a couple of reasons why that's a magic size. Chiefly it's because it's a it's a suitable size prey item for a for a hungry largemouth juvenile or or, or, or 12, 13, 14 inch largemouth bass. It, it's it's large enough that it'll actually do them some good. But the other really important distinction about intermediate, that intermediate size is bluegill are sexually mature about that size. So we're stocking something that, that if it gets eaten, it provides a lot of nutritional benefit as opposed to eating something teeny tiny. And if it doesn't get eaten, it provides even more long-term benefit because it's going to reproduce quickly. And so that's, that's why we, we target or we shoot for that intermediate forage when we stock a lot of times threadfin chatter in that intermediate size range what we find when we when we shock these lakes and and we and we are looking to assess the population and when we report that uh, back to the lake owners that these lakes are, are bass crowded or predator crowded what the determinant factor there is is, is frank or one of them is the the lack of intermediate size forage uh, and, and it's 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 palpable. It's 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 amazing. You can shock a lake and roll up all sorts of bass and all sorts, all different sizes, and 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 even all kinds of forage. Even bluegill, there'll be an abundance of of tiny stuff, little one and two inch bluegill, you know, everywhere, and maybe even an abundance of large stuff, six, seven, eight, nine inch bluegill but that that important intermediate that right in the middle there which is the target range which is the sweet spot for those 12 13 14 inch bass they're missing and there's a reason they're missing they got to eat so that's what we're attempting to replenish when we stock intermediate size so doran tell me this i and, and i'm in the in the fishing i'm in the fisheries world and 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 in the fishing world as well but one thing i've never quite got a great answer on and maybe you can share is is there's lots of different type of brim species, but it seems like the bluegill is the go-to stocking. Sure. Why is that? Why, why is the bluegill versus all the other different types of, of brim species that are out there? Why, why do we use bluegill? Yeah, that's another great question, uh, Steve, and is a really simple answer. The bluegill are multiple spawners. Whereas most all the other sunfish species, whether you're talking about red breast or red ear, shellcracker, 
or pumpkin seed or, or, or any other number of, mm-hmm. of sunfish, uh, they're going to spawn really one time, uh, typically in the, in the late spring, early summer, and they're done. Uh, whereas bluegill, uh, as you are, are aware, they'll spawn oh, yeah. roughly every 30 days uh, once that water temp gets in the high 70s, low 80s, and they'll keep doing that all the way through the early fall. Yeah, so, I, I never realized that they were the only brim species that did that. They really are, and 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 that's another thing that that's another thing that makes threatened shad so such an outstanding forage for these ponds is that that shad, particularly in ponds, particularly in ponds where there's a, a high level of fertility, which where we lime and fertilize, uh, they'll do the same thing. In fact, I've seen threadfin shad. I per- personally witnessed threadfin shad spawning in December and January. So those jokers will, uh, and that and that's a real difference. The amount of reproduction obviously translates into lots more food oh, overall, yeah. and so that's the real key. That's the reason. Steve. Yeah, it's like you you buy you buy a brim, but it, it reproduces it over and over again versus just buying one and it getting eaten and being done and being so, done. Yeah. And no one's ever said that to me. <laughs> no. And, and that's why we get the question a lot. Well, yeah. you know, we stocked a bunch of shellcracker into our, into our pond, and, and we don't catch very many of them. You know, we catch a lot of brim, a lot of bluegill, but not shellcracker. And, and, and really, that's the reason. You know, those shellcracker, they're great, and, 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 they, and they will reproduce, uh, but they just don't reproduce in, an, uh, in abundance like bluegill. And so when they get eaten – uh, the next time there's a chance to replace that that shellcracker is a, is a year later. You know when these small ones get eaten, whereas bluegill are constantly spinning out, but they're constantly reproducing. So it makes them ideal for for a predator that's got a voracious appetite like a largemouth bass. Heck yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So we talked about threadfin, we talked about bluegill. I mean, is there any other kind of go-to, either go-to uh, forage base that you see a lot of success in, especially in, in Alabama and in the southeast? So is there any other go-tos? And then is there any outliers, man? Is there any, like, specialty item that I think could people could utilize in their pond? Yeah, we, we stock, in terms of other forage, we stock a lot of crawfish. That's, that's more of a spring activity. Okay, so crawfish are great source of protein for bass. They love to eat them. They're relatively inexpensive. So we do stock a lot of crawfish. We stock a lot of tilapia, mixed sex tilapia, males and females. They reproduce, again, multiple spawners. Talk about prolific. Tilapia will spawn every 18 to 20 days, and they'll do that as long as the water's warm. Now, Now, unlike bluegill and other forage species the winter will get those tilapia so that's not something sustainable annually that the adults have to be replaced mm-hmm. every year but we do stock a lot of tilapia because they're so productive during those warm weather months we'll stock golden shiners they're excellent as well but like shellcracker and and other forage they only they only reproduce one time they're they're more of a, a seasonal supplement kind of like crawfish they just don't reproduce enough uh, that they'll ever become uh, super abundant if you got a really healthy hungry bass population those are the primary forage species that we that we uh, stock we we're heading into the cooler weather months and uh, we do something pretty neat in a lot of lakes just as a put and take 
just to add some variety to the lakes. Uh, we have a lot of folks that stock rainbow trout. Uh, they're a ton of fun. They're great to eat. We can stock them at a size that uh, they're immediately catchable. In fact, we can stock them up to three, four, five pounds a piece. Uh, typically, we have those available. Most often, we stock them about a pound. They're about a pound each, and we feed them. Uh, same supplemental feeders, the same automated feeders that we use to feed bluegill in the spring and summer. We add. We'll, we'll feed those trout through the late fall and winter. And uh, and they're and they're a whole lot of fun to catch. So we, we we tend to stock those in November, mid to late November. Try to get them in before Thanksgiving, before the holidays, and they will survive typically through April. Sometimes even into May. Uh, this past spring, we were catching them uh, in a pond that on on some of my property in well into May because the water just stayed cool. But like tilapia dying off in the winter, trout will uh, will die off in the summer. They won't tolerate the, the hot water in, in the ponds in the deep south. If I was a guy that owned, had a 10, 15 acre pond, it, it sounds like you, you want to stock those, stock the bluegills. That's going to be one of your primary things that you're going to want to stock. But then maybe like in the spring, if you stock those tilapia in the early spring, as soon as the water got warm enough where they could survive and they could start, you're basically giving your bluegill some relief and a chance to, to multiply while the, while those, cause those tilapia are going to provide so much food for those bass that it's going to kind of give your bluegill a little relief. It seems to me like it'd just be a bonus. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And, and, and there's, there's no question that the more forage that you have and the more forage diversity that you have, that you see that kind of thing take take place. And, and it's really important. And it can be a real difference maker. So, you know, bluegill, they get hammered on pretty good. And particularly, I mean, they live right in that zone where the bass like to live and ambush. They're ideally suited for bass to prey on. So anything you add that particularly in when they when they start their spawning behavior when they when they start reproducing anything is there to take the pressure off of them is great. Is really is is a is a good thing. And so you're exactly right. Threadfin chad same way. You know, they tend to reproduce in large numbers <clears throat> in the springtime and the, their presence will take pressure off of that bluegill population and and help it push it along hopefully allow a few more of those bluegill that are born to, to grow up into that intermediate size range where they can a benefit the bass a little bit more than they they would when they're just an inch long and b if they don't it get eaten they'll be reproducing themselves so so that's the key to it just keep keep plenty of food to them and of course Part of all this, a big part of all this is harvest, and and we really emphasize that in the fall. The fishing tends to get better in the fall of the year uh, as the water temps come down and the fish move up a little sh- into the shallow water and feed a little more actively. And we, we preach all the time, this is a great time to you know, put a dent in, in that surplus bass production that, that really is a, is a big key to all of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I want to second that, Norm. And, you know, for all my listeners out there, you know, me being in the fisheries world, I mean, that is one thing we see so often is people think they need this and that and this and that. And the reality is, is you're just not taking enough bass out of your lake. I, I think 
the the element of bass conservation has has went above and beyond a, a healthy state from where people just they don't remove fish from their lake and that guys implementing forage is key to really growing big healthy awesome fish to catch and enjoy but you got to harvest too and right. in those times of year where you really can harvest a lot where you you get a lot of catches in the spring and the fall you need to do that. You're not going to outfish your lake. No, <laughs> I mean, you're not. You're not going to do it. And so you, you really do have to focus on not only giving your fish a good forage base, but, but you got to harvest. You got, you got to take out, you know, fish. And Norm, is there, is there a, um, I don't know. I, I know every lake's different and I know every situation is different. I don't in any way want you to put this inside of a box or a template, but is there a, kind of a rule of thumb the number of bass per acre per year that you need to be removing or is it does it really just need to be a case-by-case basis for you to to no we we there's an answer to that In in a typical fertilized pond steve we we recommend between 25 to and 30 pounds per acre per year in cases where you've got chronic overcrowding uh, predator crowding uh, it can it can be in excess of that even 35 40 pounds per acre per year uh, and that's a lot of fish that's a lot of bass what we talk about frequently and it's it's really interesting a lot of this a lot of the what we refer to as pond management today was pioneered back in the 30s and 40s and 50s a, a ton of it was done down at Auburn University uh, Dr. Homer Swingle who the fisheries building is named after there, you know, really developed this bass bluegill combination. And back then, the objective really was to to create a sustainable surplus of protein because folks ate what they caught. And, you know, these farm ponds were were just like a, a garden. And they were, they were a source of protein. And so what we've seen in the past few decades is this the, a real paradigm shift from using these resources as a, as a, for consumption to more of a recreational approach, whereas mm-hmm. folks just don't, don't really grow fish, necessarily eat them anymore. They grow them to catch them and have fun. And when you couple that with, with what has been a, a phenomenally successful uh, message that uh, the the whole idea of catch and release on the public reservoirs where there's intense pressure and a lot of species diversity, it's been extremely beneficial to the public resources. They get exploited at a high rate. But that same approach doesn't necessarily work in a small farm pond that gets almost no fishing pressure. Mm-hmm. So not to take anything away from catch and release, very important been fantastic for our public resources it's a wonderful thing doesn't necessarily apply to a pond particularly a pond where you go into it thinking i'm not really interested in catching fish to eat i'm interested in catching them to enjoy catching them that's that's uh that's where all this comes from and really it's always going to be the case almost always until until you know there's some interesting things going on in the fisheries research world, uh, Red Hills Fishery down in South Georgia doing, doing some really cool things, working with with bass, all female bass. There's all kinds of neat stuff out there that, that'll apply to ponds, genetic 
improvements and things that that could lead to to some interesting stuff down the road and and maybe reduce the amount of harvest that's required to keep these things in balance while at the same time producing lots and lots of quality and trophy sized fish so uh, and 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 certainly we stay on top of all that stuff and and and, uh, and look forward to that but but for now harvest remains uh, something awfully important as part of your management program. Well, and I hope the listeners realize that even though everything you're saying and is absolutely true with harvest and a farm uh, and a farm pond and a smaller pond, you've got to take the bass out. Stephen's real alternative ulterior motive is that he's hoping the listeners are going to call and invite him to their ponds to help them catch the bass out of it. Man, I'll set the hook on <laughs> That's really where he was going with this whole I thing. Mean, he I just always, wants his phone to start well, ringing. Well, look, here's what, I, here's, here's what I do. I mean, at least I'm a straight up. People say all the time, generically, man, come over, let's, I'm going to take you fishing. Yeah. Come over and come fishing. Uh, or let's go hunting. I'm going to take you hunting. You know, next time you're around, call me, we'll go hunting. We'll go hunting. Call me, we'll go fishing. And I always say, okay, but I want you to know that I'm the kind of guy when you invite me, I'm coming. I'm going. So, like, if you want to, re- if you want to take that invite back, it won't hurt my feelings because when you say it, I'm probably coming. I'm probably coming. <laughs> so, I ain't scared. I'll be there. I ain't scared. <laughs> That's great. But uh, you know, one one thing I wanted to say, and just to kind of give the listeners a little bit of a visual perspective about the importance of of harvesting, and and, and we really want to focus all, a lot of our attention on forage today. But a female, an adult female bass, can lay up to twelve thousand eggs in the spawn every spring, 12,000 eggs. And so if you think about it, guys, and these numbers aren't, aren't real, but they ain't far off. If you have a hundred female in your lake, which you don't really know how many you have, but if you had a hundred, that means every spring or that spring, those hundred fish can lay up to 1.2 million eggs. And if only a half a percent, just a half a percent of those eggs survive, are not eaten or die off or they grow to be fish. You just added 6,000 fish to your lake. Yeah. 6,000 every year. And it's cumulative, right? (laughs) So if you're not harvesting, you're accumulatively getting out of whack really, really fast. Absolutely. So that's the important of a forage harvest base. We talked about last time normal zone, we talked about water quality. And so it's this balance of water quality, forage and harvest for you to have a quality lake that you really enjoy day in and day out and begin to kind of feel like you're getting a return on your investment of getting that pond built, filled with fish, aquatic vegetation, fertilizing, liming. If you want to return on all that, then it's really going to take the the whole whole, spectrum to get there. Right. And speaking of the economics of it, talking about, you know, rainbow trout, that time of year is coming up to stock them in their farm ponds tilapia in the spring we talked about that norm is there a big difference between and uh financially as far as stocking those fish compared to the bluegill is are they a lot more expensive or think that's kind of a hard hard question to answer it it depends on stocking density of trout and, and the number of bluegill but what i will say is this whether it's tilapia or rainbow trout you can stock those things and grow them in your pond for at or less what you could go buy them at the grocery store for. So, you know, we always say, look, particularly with tilapia, you can get the added benefit of those things producing tons and tons of food all through the growing season. And 
they're pretty easy to target for harvest. So if you enjoy eating tilapia like I do, you get kind of the best of both worlds, you know. And same thing with trout. You can stock those things and catch and release them and, and feed them a little bit and grow them on up. It's not unusual for a trout to start at a pound in November and end up being two and a half or three pounds in April. And, you know, when you get toward the end of that season, you know, it's simple enough. Instead of releasing those things, you you keep them and clean them and eat them. So and they're, they're excellent to eat those trout. Uh, grown in ponds. Heck so, yeah. So um, what, what temperature do the tilapia, I mean, is this something, I mean, sometimes we have in Alabama, we have some pretty mild winters. Yeah, sure. Uh, mm-hmm. What what temperature do you see these die, start dying off on yeah, with, tilapia and for the rainbow? Yeah, with tilapia, they, they will tolerate brief spells of cool, of real cold, but when that water gets down into the high 40s to mid you know mid to high 40s for any period of time at all for days you know certainly for weeks um they just can't stand up to it and really the cooler it gets even when it gets down to the low 50s if it stays there for an extended period of time that's when you start seeing mortality the interesting thing about tilapia those things reproduce like steve's talk about the reproduction you know by the tens and hundreds of thousands uh, multiple times a year but very rarely when we see the tilapia die off very rarely do we see uh, any small tilapia dead and floating on the surface in fact almost never and the reason is because they all get eaten so they start slowing down and they can't really get away from predators as they cool down and they're just easy easy targets easy for the path. bass they just pick them all off cool. and, and usually if you don't, if you're not successful harvesting most of the adults, uh, you will see some of those adults kind of floating or swimming around slowly when the water gets gets cool. With trout, kind of the opposite. Uh, we get into April, certainly by the first part of May. Typically, most of the most of the deep south, you're going to start seeing water temps approaching 70 or or higher. Certainly, surface temps. Uh, 70 or higher and once that water gets up into the 70s uh, those trout just just are struggling and certainly as it gets warmer from there you you tend to lose them the other good thing about trout though they're they're awfully slender you know long and slender they don't have any real big hard spines and you'd be surprised what a five or six pound plus bass could eat in the form of a rainbow trout especially one that's barely moving because it's stressed out from temperature so so some of those big bass uh they can get a one one plus pound trout down their throat and then they take advantage of it so they'll, wow. they'll eat some of them oh know? yeah absolutely we uh we feed the brood fish down at the hatchery and you heard norman refer to red hills and if you guys don't know i'm i'm the sales manager at red hills and and we really are doing some pretty cool stuff down there but one of the neat things I saw is uh, that I kind of learned, it's a learning process, but we feed our broodstock goldfish because they're meaty and they don't have hard fins and easy for the, the, the bass to eat them. Mm-hmm. And, dude, it's amazing how big some of those goldfish are. And then the bass is just suck them in. Oh, suck them right in, man. It's, if it's, a bass can get their mouth around something, and, and <laughs> they're going to try to eat it. 
Yeah. And of course, those bluegill, they're they're main defense, and they get really big. They've got those those really sharp, long, hard spines, yeah. mm-hmm. and they flare out when that bass tries to eat them, and all of a sudden they can't get their mouth around them. It's not unusual to find six, seven, eight pound bass with a bluegill lodged or stuck in their mouth. They can't get it down their yeah. throat. So they'll get it in their mouth. And that bluegill will throw up those dorsal spines and it just gets lodged in there. You know, it, it can even kill a bass, but that's r- rare to happen with something like a trout or a goldfish or a, even a big golden shiner or a big gizzard shad. They don't have those hard dorsal spines. We occasionally use trout as forage. We'll occasionally have access to uh, one of our suppliers will have some, some smaller trout in, in the spring or early summer before it gets too too warm for the trout to survive and and we'll and we'll stock a bunch of trout just as a a dietary supplement because they're super rich in protein and and uh and those bass will just suck them right down that leads me to a question norman and i and i was really looking forward to you being on here today to answer this question this is not a pond question this is more of a lake question uh, but you might have some really good insight on it. We've had several episodes, Stephen, lately where we've talked about the herring. Mm-hmm. The blueback herring. The blueback herring being mm-hmm. stocked in Smith Lake, in Lake Martin, different lakes around the southeast, over in Georgia, and the difference is made in the fishery. I mean, you're seeing a lot healthier bass fishing, bass fishery than you did before they before they put them in there. Yeah. And one thing we were asking last week on the show is why? Is it just that they are multiplying faster? Are they more nutritious? What is it about those herring that are, are making these bass bigger and your fisheries it, better? Yeah, I think I think it's I think it's the the latter uh, or the former. What you said, I think they're just they're just very prolific. You know, very fecund. They have a, have a high reproductive. Uh, capacity and the the water conditions and water quality is excellent for them in 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 some of those reservoirs that you mentioned and there's do exceptionally well in terms of their their productivity Uh, like there's just an abundance of them and 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 that's probably what you're seeing technically they're probably not a heck of a lot of difference nutritionally between a, a herring and a shad or, or even a bluegill, but they definitely are growing in abundance and they're, they're very productive and, and, and those bass uh, and other predators, you know, stripers or whatever, they, they're opportunistic. They see, they see a, a new food source and they, and they hone in on them and, and it benefits them pretty, pretty quickly, fattens them up no doubt man that's awesome well i'm always a fan of the forage talk so i'm glad we we got dove into that today and and there's so much i know for the listeners to learn and find out to find out about and you know before we wrap it up share share with the listeners if they've had a pond and they haven't maybe really invested in the the whole forage approach other than maybe the initial stocking when the pond was built because so many times you mean you bought a piece of property and the pond's been there long since been there what's your one piece of advice to get the first step someone should take in implementing a forage program they're listening to the show today yeah i think i think the thing that i would say on that is don't don't make assumptions either either good or bad about the fish community let us come in and evaluate it let us come in with our electrofishing equipment we can tell very quickly 
you know, where you are in terms of your balance. And, and let's make some, some smart decisions with economy in mind, with your budget in mind, in terms of how we can improve things, if in fact you need to improve them. So every lake's a little bit different and, and people's objectives are different. Most of the time, even older ponds, I mean, you know, you hear about an old house, it's got good bones, you know, maybe it needs some, mm-hmm. some updating or some, some exterior work or some paint or whatever. You know, most, most of these ponds, uh, they have good bones. They have good, uh, a good foundation. They've got the right species composition, but they just, they just need a little work. So it may be that, uh, and folks love to stock fish. And of course, we stock a lot of fish. And a lot of times, stocking forage is a big part of the answer. But it's not always the first thing that, you, that, that we would recommend doing. Rather than just throwing darts at a board and saying, hey, I don't like to fish and let's add fish, whether it's forage or even predators, let's evaluate it, see where we are, see what your objectives are, and, and let's match those two together, come up with a plan over the course of the next 12 or 18 months. And 99 times out of 100, we can make some pretty dramatic improvements, even in an older lake that hasn't been taken care of. Uh, that's awesome that's awesome well norman man appreciate it we love having you on we love our the management minute every month we just get such a such a wealth of information and if a guy's out there listening has a has a pond that he wants to get you to come out and do a management program or talk to you about stocking some forage or some trout coming up in november what's the best way for him to get in touch with you yep uh, go to the website we got a great website it's a it's a great resource and you can make contact that way it's sepond.com. You can always call me directly on my cell phone number, and that's 205-288-1371. Or you can call our toll-free number, which is 888-830-7663. Good stuff, Norman. Well, thank you, man. Appreciate it. And uh, we look forward to having you on again next month, buddy. Okay, guys. Good talking to you. Thanks, man. Take care. All right. Bye. Awesome segment, man. Love having Norman on here. Uh, he's just, God knows his stuff. And it's just, it's just neat to hear some of the insight from Norman. I love it because, you know, talking about forage, one of my favorite things is actually to watch fish feed. And I, and I get to see that up close in person more so than most people because I work for a fish hatchery. And when we're feeding our broodstock, it is amazing. Like piranhas. Oh, dude, it's, it's awesome. It's like, you know, people get excited when they start schooling and you throw a spook on top of it. Well, think if you were standing a foot away from that happening, because that's essentially how it is. Like, I'm hand, I hand feed the broodstock, and it's like piranhas right underneath my and hand. And the broodstock is big fish, right? Some of them. It, they, it, they don't have to be big to be broodstock, because, again, at Red Hills, and we haven't talked about a lot about that on the show, but we will. We we are we're basically pedigree breeding bass, so we're we're following genetic profiles. So a fish doesn't have to be big to have the genetics that we're looking for, because it could be a young fish. But its genetics tells us we want you. But I got some big brooders. I, I got a couple that are pushing pushing ten pounds. That's awesome. That they'll they'll straight up eat a palm sized goldfish right out of your hand. Well, speaking of big fish, this is a, this is a fishing report. So let's let's talk to somebody that knows how to catch some big fish, and let's go to pick wit with Brad Whitehead. Brad, would you on man? What's going on? What's happening, guys? Y'all get me excited talking about these big fish now. It's getting hey, fall. 
Give them all. I'm ready to catch some big ones. And it is that time of year. That's what we started the show talking about. We have felt this little humidity kind of go away a little bit the last few days. Had some cooler mornings, and then man, it it, it gets it gets me fired up. It's been good up here. I say it's been good. We we've seen an increase on our crappie. If we could talk TVA into turning those generators up about thirty thousand more CFCs, uh, let me tell you, it would be on up here they're running about between 30 and 40 right now and that's good if you're up close to the dam but if you're gonna fish down river we you need about 60 to really really make it happen but hey that's okay we're still a little early uh we're jumping the gun a little bit but we're getting trips started both crappie and and the live bait trips so you guys pick a subject you pick a species and i'll roll with it you just let me know what you want to hear well, since you said it, let's jump into this current thing first, because the first thing that jumped out at me was, so if they're pulling 30 or 40 cubic feet per minute, or 30 or 40,000 cubic feet per minute, which is a lot of water, it's great when you're the dam, but you really need more like 60 downriver. Does 60 upriver up by the dam, is that too much for it to be productive up there? Do you really have to move You know, down? it's not if you're familiar with cuts, gravel bars, anywhere that fish can dip for a little while and kind of hang out of the current it's really not i call that of course you know we've got these spot locks and all that stuff but i'm still old school i like a homemade anchor i like to be able to anchor the boat into the position where i can get two clients on the back of that boat one on both sides and they can actually kind of feed the minnows what we call it to these to these small mouse spots large mouse so you need something to push that minna on down the river. And basically what we have to do is just go up on our weight size. I carried my 10-year-old, I guess, last week. And what we're seeing is a huge jump of spotted bass on Pickwick. I mean, it has tripled mm. in the past couple of years, which I am not complaining. Uh, we pulled up on rump, one rock pile. Now, mind you, Trace is 10. We pulled up on rump, one rock pile. We caught 22 spots off of one rock pile. Goodness. And let me tell you something. It was, it was fun. And I'm not talking about 12-inch spots. He had three over three pounds. So do I want current? Yes. Do I need it right now? Some days, yes. Some days, no. You're not going to catch the big small mouse if you don't have the current. But with this big increase of spotted bass that's on Pickwick now, you're able to make a day full with spots and large mouse. So it, it's kind of working out, working out for us on on both sides. That's awesome. So we can go smallmouth and crappie. Let's start with smallmouth. So the time's coming. Anybody who's listened to our show has heard you on it. Has, we've talked about the time's coming for live bait smallmouth fishing, and it, it is on its way. Tell us about the approach. Where are we headed? Paint a picture. How are we going to get there? What is it going to look like? Get us excited about catching big smallmouth on Pickwick. Well, one of the things that a lot of people absolutely love is you don't have to be there at daylight. A lot of times we meet our clients at 7, 7.30. It's not got to be right at daylight. And the reason be, once the sun starts to break over the uh, the trees, the dam, it'll pull your bait up to the top of the water. And bait, I'm meaning threadfin shad. So it's easier for us to catch them in a net. All right, we're going to throw a net, we're going to put them in our tank, and we're going to go one of two ways. If we've got 60 running, coming out of the dam, we're probably going to go down river. If I've got 30, I'm probably going to go up river closer to the dam and then work my way down. 
the problem we've got, which it started back, I guess, in 2001, used to you could call or you had an app that you could go to, and it would tell you the increase of the future of what's going to run. Now it shows you the history of what's running. And all this is uh, when the Twin Towers went down, all that security stuff now. I don't know how water flow got affected much as far as uh, security, but it's kind of tough sometimes because you can be out there and they can be turning 60,000 and boy, fishing be real good. And then all of a sudden, you'll notice your marker buoys, they're not moving. You know, just being in a boat in general, why ain't we catching any fish? Well, the current starts to back off. And that's kind of tough when you guide. Typically, September, the end of September is when we really get cranked up. But we're going to start it a little early. Uh, I've got some guys coming in Friday out of Memphis. To me, this time of year, 25, 30 fish a day, that's pretty good in four or five hours, especially if you get some pretty good-sized four, five-pound fish. Most people are happy with that. Simple. I'm looking at it right now. Your tackle on this live bait is as simple as it gets. I'm looking at split shot. (laughs) hooks sometimes we do a carolina rig if the current you were asking what if sixty thousand and you plan on going up to the dam a lot of times we'll rig up a carolina rig which if a lot of listeners don't know what that is it's basically an egg weight with a bead attached to through your line attached to a swivel and then you have a leader that's anywhere from 16 to 18 inches and your hook and basically what that lets you do is actually feed that minna to the strike zone strike zone meaning rock rows, rock piles, gravel bars that come out, and I'm talking 40, 50 yards from the bank and turn down river, that makes the ultimate setup for the perfect smallmouth. You know, we've got a couple of deals, but you really don't have to have a lot of tackle to do this. It's really simple. The biggest thing is to have a good aerated live well. I use extreme bait tanks. They're made right there in Kentucky and know how to throw a cast net. That's your two main things. If you've got that, you can come to Pickwick, you can come to Wilson, and you can catch fish on live bait. What is the purpose? And I just went brain dead, and I can't think of what you – and you just said it, and I can't – on a Carolina read – huh? The bead. The bead. Yeah. What's the purpose of the bead? Well, well, the way I was brought up, the purpose of the bead is to protect the knot on the split shot. Child of course, my son, you guys have talked to him. He is a fishing fanatic. I come home the other day. My 10-year-old is standing on the edge of our pool. He's laying on the bottom, and my 10-year-old are throwing crankbaits over the top of his head so he can listen to the different sounds of crankbaits, yeah. spinnerbaits, etc. What My point was, it, it is some type of sound, but if you throw a Carolina rig in a pool and pull it or pop it, that bead hits that lead, and it makes a ticking sound. Mm. Do, do I really think that makes a difference when you got a live minna? I don't. I don't. But it allows you... If you're using a bait caster or a spinning rod, it allows a, a customer to be able to flip the bale, leave his finger on the line, and feed it back so they don't have to cast it. The way we use it, it's a little different than your typical Carolina rig, but it works very, very well. Yes, and it allows the weight to sit on the bottom, and the minna is able to get 12, 14 inches off the bottom and swim so it looks natural. Yeah, so I, I, I'm, I think I'm envisioning what you're explaining because it does sound like you're doing it a little bit untraditional in a way of when you say feed it, are you, are you having them just kind of cast the weight out a little bit, but then, but then let feed the line and let the minnows swim, swim on further yep. away 
like and so instead of your your weight system being up in the rock pile you're it's really just your your minnows swimming up into the rock pile and you're keeping from getting hung up that's exactly right if if you could envision the the front of the boat anchored or spot locked you're standing on the back looking at the motor you've got your partner to the left you're to the right Mm. you're able to cast to the right he can cast to the left and you can literally all right guys we got a we got a big bar that comes out behind us here about 40 feet you feed that minna you'll move it about five or six feet and you'll stop and let Mm -hmm. it just sit there then you'll move it five or six feet with the current moving that fast it will push that weight Mm -hmm. you know you'll use a quarter a half normally we don't use over a half if you're having to do that it's not going to get to the bottom but you're just feeding it to them i mean it looks natural. That fish is looking up current and the bait coming over the top of his head. It's, it's, it's perfect. And the great thing about it, if you use the Carolina rig and you're, you're anchored or you're spot locked, you can sit there. You know, a lot of guys, and I know you've, saw, you've seen this when you fish below the dam, they're drifting, which that works fine. I do that a lot. Mm-hmm. But how many times have you went over the same spot boom, and caught a fish? Boom, mm-hmm. caught a fish. Well, why not set up above it and feed it to them? And you know what? I don't have to crank the motor. I don't have to drop the truck. Yeah, I don't have to do nothing but sit there and net fish for you. So yeah. it's really easy. You know, you can catch anywhere from five to eight bass off of each spot like that. And it's really enjoyable if you want to know the truth. Because you're not, as I've told, and I, I think I've said it several times, when you come up to these dams, if you're listening to this, and you come up to these dams, your head needs to be on a swivel in that current. Mm-hmm. You're always looking behind you. You've got bridge columns, you've got bars types, you've got obstacles, you've got other boats that are behind you. So you're not only looking in front of you, you're having to look behind you the whole time. So it's just a little safety thing. And oh, it's it makes intense. It really enjoyable. It's intense, man. I, and I have fished below the dam of a lot of places around the country. It's intense, man. You do. You have to keep your head on a swivel. You're constantly looking around. What's next? What's there? There's a boulder. There's a pile. You know, it's just nonstop. There's, It'll wear you out. Yeah. It'll wear you out fishing a tail race. Um, I, I tell I tell guys all the time that come and visit, a lot of the guys want to bring their own boat, and they'll go out with us for a day, and then they want to go up there and do it themselves. I said, look, here's what you do. It's really simple. A lot of guys want to be hard-headed. Oh, I can do that. Well, let me tell you, if you haven't fished in the current, it's totally different. You're only going about two miles an hour a lot of times in the current, but that two miles an hour is will be the fastest that you, you it's a blink of an eye. Mm-hmm. And we always, every year, it never fails. We have a boat that either hits one of the bridges or they hit another rig. And if you, the best thing to do, if you come to our area is sit and watch, go up where you can feel comfortable seeing those guys and watch, watch what they do. You can tell the locals from the guys that are visiting and watch what they do. It will save your life if you'll take a few minutes to kind of see what's going on. That's good stuff. Mm -hmm. Good advice. Well, it sounds like the the smallmouth and the live bait fishing is kicking off, and that's going to be a lot of fun for a lot of people that come up there with you. Let's kick over to the crappie real quick. I don't know if you've had a chance to listen last week's show, but appreciate you hooking us up with with, with Tony. Uh, It was really kind of cool to hear because, I mean, you know, most of the time we all – most all of us think of the summertime as being just the worst time of the year to crappie fish. This guy here, he thrives in the summertime. Let me, let me tell you, he is the king. He is the Kevin Van Dam of Eufaula Lake. I, I did listen to it. Uh, I will tell you a little quick story. 
uh, we, we went down there to, um, to fish a bass nation with Nathan and Tony called me and said, Hey, wh- what are you going to do today? And I was the extra boater. I said, ah, nothing. You know, as long as Nathan and them don't, don't break down. I said, I'm going to hang around the, I'm going to hang around the hotel here. And he said, uh, well, why don't you go fishing with me? And I said, uh, man, I'd, I'd love to. That's the first time I'd ever been around Tony. So I left a little window in there. If you don't know a guy, yeah. you get in a boat with him, <laughs> it, it might not work out. So I left, uh, I left a little window open in case we didn't see eye to eye on some things. Well, we got in a boat, and I told him, I said, I'll make you a deal. We catch some fish today. I'm going to give you some social media. You don't see very many other guides giving other guides social media just for taking me. He said, okay. He said, I do want to apologize now. He didn't pick me up till 8.30. He said, I do want to apologize. He said, I normally don't fish after 9 o'clock. And I just kind of looked at him, and I said, and why is that? He said, because I usually have my limit. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, okay. Sure that impresses do. me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, he pulls up in this little old boat, and, and he knows this story. So he pulls up in this little old boat, and I can, I'm thinking, wait a minute now. I don't think this is the guy I talked to earlier. He says, come on, bud. So we get in. He's got two buckets of minutes. Got some good B&M rods in there, you know, and we pull out in front of the lodge there at Lake Point, and he drops his rods in there. Had one depth finder on the console. Okay, didn't even have a depth finder on the front. He throws him a buoy out, and I'm thinking, boy, oh, boy, this is going to be fun right here. <laughs> he goes, what is it? I said, oh, nothing. nothing. I'm, I'm watching everything you do. Let me tell you guys, when he handed me the fourth rod, I couldn't keep up. I could not take a picture. I couldn't video. He goes, what are you doing? I said, I was going to shoot a video, but I keep catching fish, and I don't have time, Tony. And he's like, well, I hadn't even fished these, these spots. I, I really didn't know if they were there or not. We caught 60 I think it was right at two hours and 15 minutes. Good and he was apologizing to me. It was unbelievable. When I got off the bank, I called my wife. I said, come down here. You got to take a picture of this. And he said, she said, what? I said, just come down here. It was unbelievable. Tony, what's the old saying? The cover don't fit the book or whatever. Right. It, it didn't fit him. I mean, I, I was just, I was blown away. And um, ever since then, uh, me and him has just hit it off. He's given me some ideas on stuff. I've given him some ideas on promotion, and we have just become very good friends. That's awesome. And I and I encourage guys all the time. If you're going to Florida, you need to stop off and fish Ufala Lake. I know it's known for bass, but it is slam full of crop. It's I'm glad you guys talked to him. I'm glad you hooked us up with him. It was a great call, great podcast. If y'all hadn't listened to it, it was last week's show. Go back and listen to it. And it it was impressive for sure to hear. Do you think that's a Ufala thing that he does so well in the summer months? Or do you think it's just that he knows what he's doing? Well, let me tell you something about Tony that I've learned. There, there's two things. There's a Mother Nature deal with, with Ufala, and there is a Tony Adams deal. The Mother Nature deal is that lake is slam full of, of, of speck, of black crappie. Okay? That is a plus especially in the summertime, the way they set up. We don't have near the black crappie that you follow has, mm. okay? Another thing is, Tony works at it. He told me something that would be, I mean, when he told me, I was like, no, nah, there's no way. He goes and pulls his Helix 12 up, and he's probably got over a 1,000 waypoints at you follow. And I said, Tony, wh- what is this? And he said, every time he goes fishing, every time he goes fishing, every time he goes with a client, if he goes with a client, he gets there 20 minutes early. 
and he's got cane. He fishes a lot of, of bamboo and cane. He takes out structure every time he goes to the water. Now, you think about that. That's 60 pounds per deal that he does. He, it's a 60-pound deal, the, the bucket, the concrete, the cane, the whole thing's 60 pounds. He takes and goes every day. I mean, every time, every time he goes fishing, he takes a piece of structure. Now, you think about that. Uh, you're going to get there early, run out there, drop your cane, and then come back and get your client. But he's done that so much. He's got so much structure out there. I mean, it, he is work. I'm going to tell you. He he's worked absolutely at it. Worked. Yeah, well, and that's you, the whole thing. Well, you you know uh, you you the crappie crappie king as well. You uh, <clears throat> you catch your you catch your fair share of them up 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 in Pickwick. Well, we we work at it. I like to tell other people. People look at us crazy sometimes when we start talking about other places to go fish and other people to go with. Because today's time, it's a dog eat dog world. And you take a guy like that, I will do everything I can. Hey, it's worth just going down there, just going fishing with him to help him with this company or help him with this company, you know, just to see somebody else grow in our industry because you know what? Sooner or later, you're going to need a connection that you follow. And it's that's that's what got us together. My son was going down there. I needed a connection and it become a friendship. That's and to awesome. me, that's what this outdoor world's about. It's not about Brad Whitehead being on Pickwick and being the crappie guy or being the live bait guy. Hey, I want friends on all these lakes because sooner or later we're going to cross paths and we need each other to do that. I, I just think that's, that's the whole deal. I had a dad. I took over the fishing team, got, got suckered into that. And uh, last night a, a guy walked up to me and he said, I want to take my kid on a guided trip. Will you do it? I said, no, I'm not going to do it. But I've got friends that will take you. You know, I give him, I give him three guides' names that are good friends, and that's what we do. We swap out trips. Uh, a lot of guys won't do that, but the guys I deal with, man, and, and some, some of them you've got them on your list that do some talking on y'all's podcast, those are some of my good friends that we swap trips all the time. So it's, it's pretty good to have that kind of relationship all over the state and all over the country. Absolutely. Well, Brad, man, I love chatting with you and, you know, even opening the show today when you said you took your 10-year-old out there and y'all caught a bunch. My oldest son turned 10 this past weekend and he is a fishing fanatic and he would absolutely go nuts over that live bait fishing uh, from from start to finish. I mean, he's been throwing a cast net for probably the last three or four years. I mean, he's he, just loves he, he, he he's an avid outdoorsman avid fisherman but he's an avid like survivalist type he he wants to go catch the bait he wants he wants to eat the fish that we catch he wants to clean it and cook it himself and him being able to show up and catch the bait and then go catch the fish with live bait and then the whole gamut got me excited thinking about it heck so, yeah um so thanks for being on the show today before we jump off here man just tell everybody you know, you're on our show a lot, but we don't ever want to miss the opportunity to, if they want to go fishing with you, man, how can they get in touch with you and, and, uh, get on one of these trips we're talking about? No doubt. I'm still old school. The best way to get up with me is give me a call 256-483-0834, but you're always can catch us on Instagram and Facebook. Send me a message. We'll get something, we'll get something figured out. The next couple of months are going to be going to be good. We've got the Toyota owners tournament coming in to town that always brings in a bunch of good fishermen a couple of the big crappie trails they they're lined up for the next couple of months I appreciate y'all doing this appreciate you letting me get on here and talk I get a lot of feedback 
especially from down south now, you know, with you guys doing this, it's it's a good deal. Uh, well, I, I appreciate every time we get to come on here. Well, we appreciate you, man, and and we we would uh, we we do hope that we can get up there and get in a boat with you sometime. I know it's hard. We got all busy, busy schedules, but we do appreciate you and do hope to get up there sometime with you. But man, keep catching them and uh, stay safe, and and we look forward to talking to you next time. Hey, y'all! Y'all are gonna have to help me out too. Now, my wife just purchased a uh, a summer home in Panama City, so I'm gonna be headed toward the toward the Gulf a little bit. So you guys, are, we're gonna have to swap out some trips or something because I don't know nothing about that fishing down there. We got guys. We got we got another uh, we got another podcast that that our partners do called the Alabama Saltwater Fishing Report, and they know all the boat captains down there. We can hook you up. Get you, get that you sounds good. With right hook. And even our guy fishing out of the Delta, I mean, that, um, oh, yeah, um, that, that would, I think that would be fun too for him to get to experience that. Yeah, that's right. We got a guy awesome. down there in the Delta that's fishing, that's fishing that, that, that water down there, and it's totally different. There's something that's totally different bass fishing. So, uh, yeah, let us know when you're going to be going, and we'll hook you up, brother. Sounds good. You guys have a blast today. Uh, if you need anything, give us a call anytime. Thank you, man. Appreciate you. All right, buddy. See you. Uh, great segment. Love having him on. You can't find a better guy and a, a guy with more knowledge. He's he's awesome to have on our program, and we appreciate him every time. Every time he's on, I just I want to go fishing. I know, right? Like, I want to leave and just go fishing. He just fires you up. I mean, he 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 really does. So he does. Love having him on. Well, speaking about firing you up, man, this guy here, the next guest we got on, David Hare, Rick Flair, Rick Flair, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> David Hare, Rick Flair, about the same thing. Well, David, what's going on, man? Oh man, doing good. Y'all doing okay? We doing good, buddy. We doing good, man. Everybody's we we all enjoying this little bit of cool snap we got. It gets our hopes up that there's there's actually going to be a fall. So tell you what, last night I couldn't believe I was texting my clients for this morning and i said hey y'all dress for some cool weather for first thing in the morning i i said uh i'm not used to sending this text out in a very long time <laughs> that's right that's right well how did y'all do yesterday uh we did really good we, we of course i think i've already told you that but we're trolling this time of year but but we had a real active morning. We had 11 or 12 hookups. We boated eight nice fish today. Had a few uh, shake off on us, but, but we had a good good morning. Awesome. And that, so are y'all catching some big stripes right now? Well, we're catching some nice stripes. The last couple of days, we hadn't caught, you know, anything over 12 pounds. We're just catching some nice stripe right now, which is typical for this time of year on Lake Martin. Uh, the bigger fish are turned on here sometime in the next three or four weeks, but just catching some real nice, pretty good, good fighting fish, good eating fish. Good, good deal. That's interesting. Do, do a lot of your clients like to to keep the fish that they they catch um i know you can only keep two is that right correct that's two if they're 22 inches and longer uh-huh. and if they're if they're under 22 inches you can keep up to 15 this time of year the dnr they want you to keep these stripers up until about october the 15th then you know it, it's up to you to keep them or not this mm-hmm. time of year the they prefer you to keep them because they have a hard time living from coming up from such deep water. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So do you do you see a, a lot of your customers like to keep them to to eat? 
Oh, no doubt. No oh, that's doubt. Awesome. Uh, they are just, and I'm not just, this isn't a sales fish. They are my family's and my favorite fish to eat. We don't keep any other fish for ourselves personally. You just cut that red bloodline out, and it's as, just as good a piece of fish you'll ever put in your mouth. That's awesome. So still, obviously, trolling live bait, nothing's really changed. Have your fish started moving to different parts of the, the lake as the, the mornings have been cooler? And has it made them change yet? Or is it just going to, it's going to take more time on, on the water temperature changing? It, it's going to take a little, a little more time. They're still in the same area or, or the same area. Uh, but like yesterday and today, it seemed like when you go through some, it was just a little, little more fish in that certain area than it has been instead of just one hit when you get to a certain place uh like this morning we had a trip along uh we only boated two of the three but we had three on at one time dang that's good yeah how how deep are you fishing right now still today i was concentrating in the 60 to 105 foot of water depth crazy (laughs) <laughs> so when you hook up a big you know 22 plus inch striper and i know you've been on before talking about catching some really big fish when you hook up a a, a fish that deep that big how long does it take your clients to get a fish in like that uh, man, today <laughs> today it was taking a little longer than normal they were they were getting tired really and i when i troll this time of year I, of course i'm trolling artificial i'm not trolling with live bait this time of year and i like to use down riggers and lead core line and on my lead core line i'm putting it out 300 feet behind the boat so you can imagine how long it takes to reel a fish in from 300 feet behind the boat and you're not slowing the boat down because you're trying to get more bites, so you're keeping all those rods out. But it was taking them, and I know this isn't long for salt water, but for fresh water, it, it's a long time. You know, it was taking them 10 minutes to get those uh, lead core lines in. Uh, and then my, my downrigger lines, I don't run those that far back, so they're getting those fish in in three or four minutes. I guess to put that in perspective, like bass fishing, I mean, you, you catch a big, good bass. I mean, you're talking like you're talking like a 30-second 30 30 bite. 30-second, yeah. And you got this yeah. big old striper on there for 10 minutes. That's a big difference. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, that's awesome. Yeah, uh, I get tickled because first thing in the morning, everybody's talking about, well, I'm going to get the first fish i'm gonna get the second fish and this that and other and it and if we're getting more hits on those long lines it doesn't take long before they say you get that one over there i'm gonna wait on that 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 shorter line (laughs) it changes quick after they catch a few of them doesn't it that's kind of like when that's kind of like when we noodle these big catfish you know everybody's gets in the boat they've never done it they're all fired up and excited to, to catch one of these big flatheads and after they've caught one or two of them they're like uh who wants to go <laughs> i don't i don't want to know if i want another one right now yeah. i think it was one day last week man we hooked up with something and i mean i thought we had a sure enough i'm talking about a monster striper on because most of the time your big stripers that they're pulling hard but they're not they're not running hard. It's like they're pulling and going down. 
just constantly got pressure on you where like a i'm just gonna say like a 12 to 15 pound fish i mean sometimes he'll just take off and it's the races on well this one just kept going down kept going down and we could not do anything with this fish so against my better judgment i just told everybody i said reel all these other rods in i'm fishing shut the boat down and they did and i shut it down and this and it was it was out there on one of those 300 foot lines and that guy reeled and he caught that fish and he'd get it a little ways and then it'd go down and pull a little drag i he must have been on a good 15 minutes and finally i just said i'm gonna put i'm gonna crank back up and i'm gonna put the boat in reverse and you do not let any tension get off of that line so you know i could already see our picture you know on the front cover of some world record magazine right right yeah, for that big striper, you know, I thought we had that 70-plus pound striper on there. Oh, I was so excited. And we, I finally got backed up to it, and we were just about over it, and that fish was still pulling down, but it was still acting like a big striper. Because we've caught some big ones that acted like that. And, and I had them so pumped up, we finally got that fish to the top, and it was about a 25-pound uh a catfish had hit a spoon on one of my <laughs> trolling. <laughs> Good we, gracious. We, we were out, when that happened, we were out in like 150 foot of water, and I was running that spoon about 50 foot deep and caught a catfish just out there by themselves. That's crazy. We, you know, we've got a guy that's called in before on our show, and we hope to have him on again soon. But he guides catfishing trips, and he trolls. That's what he does. He trolls for catfish. And I've I never heard of that before. I don't doubt that. I mean, and and uh, that would be a fun trip to do because, you know, we don't catch many of them. But when you catch them, you catch them. Uh, for me, I, not being a catfish guide, I think when we do catch them, we catch them in the oddest places. And usually when we catch one, it's a good fish. I mean, I just thought that was very odd out there. And we've caught some out in the wide open like that. Just out of the blue just all of a sudden have a big old catfish i think that would be a fun trip learning how to troll for catfish that'd be fun wouldn't it it'd be different <laughs> yeah it would definitely be different. well it sounds like things are still going good for you. y'all still catching fish and it's only going to get better in the next few weeks and months right oh yes uh this morning the water temperature was down to 83 degrees it was so pleasant out there today and had a good breeze on the water. We we like a good chop on the water for these stripers. Uh, you know, it just makes the fish so much more active. Not to mention it makes you more comfortable out there. But but when you got a good chop on the water, these fish just turn on. And and like you were saying, from hopefully we're not going to have a, a downturn again. Hopefully we won't have some just real crazy weather hopefully from here on out it's just gonna get better and better and uh i'm looking forward to late fall and all winter long fishing but i sure do like this time of year also well and and we look forward to to you being back on the show and telling us all about it and keeping us up to date on what's going on with the big stripes in lake martin always appreciate you getting on david and man tell uh tell everybody how to hook up with you if they want to go catch some stripes and an occasional large catfish. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you can uh, always call or text me at 
3089. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook, LC the Guide Service Lake Martin. And you can Google me. You, you can find LC the Guide Service by just putting in anything pertaining to stripers in Alabama, and I'm going to pop up. And uh, would love to hear from you, love to take you out. You, you just can't beat this time of year weather wise. And just it's just a great trip. Look forward to hearing from everybody. Well, we appreciate you, man, as always, and look forward to talking to you again soon, brother. Yes, sir. Y'all have a good day. All right. Thanks, man. Yes, sir. Thank you. Man, another good show coming to an end, Stephen. And, man, uh, of course, Norman, having him on in the management minute is always a great thing to have. And and then Brad, then hearing about these big stripes. You gotta love Alabama fishing. Man, I love it. I mean, you think about it. We we knocked out Forge today. We knocked out Smallmouth. We knocked out Crappie. Yeah. Touched on Striper. Even talked about catfish. Today. Even talked about a little catfish. Man, I mean, that's not the trifecta. That's like the. What? The, don't even try to make me say it. Yeah. Uh, I'll I mean, mess we talked it up. about all kind of stuff today. We did. It was a good day, man. And uh, but the, I think the I mean the the, the common denominator is. Falls are coming. Fall is coming, and, and you can hear coming. it in everybody's voice. You can today. hear it in everybody's voice. You really could. I mean, as a fisherman and, and 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 as an outdoorsman, we all. I mean, this is those mornings. They change us. Yeah, like it is a complete psyche change, and so you could hear it in their voice, man. Absolutely. I mean, it's man. it is. It's coming, and it's exciting, both fishing and hunting, and and it's a great time of year. Kansas is getting close, baby. November mm-hmm. ain't that far away. And the, uh, You're going to have to host without me that week. I'm just yeah. telling you right now. <laughs> we we'll ruts on. I'm going to be yeah. there. We, uh, well, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I got four duck trips planned already. Don't tell my wife, but so <laughs> good luck. I'll let you have your Kansas deer. I'm going duck You're hunting. You're going duck hunting. I got uh, you. All right, folks. Well, that's going to be a wrap for the week. Please subscribe, rate, drop us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. If you'd like us to email you the podcast, you know we will. Just head on over to greatdaysoutdoors.com slash A-F-F-R, and we'll send you the show each and every week. Great show, Stephen. Enjoyed it and look forward to it again next week, brother. Absolutely, man. It it's get, keeps getting better and better. So I always have a fun time with you and all our guests. And um, hope you listeners are, are enjoying it. And uh, man, if you've got any feedback for us, shoot it our way. If you'd like to hear more about something or see a little bit different approach, want to hear more about a certain uh, area of the state, you know, let us know so we can spend some time trying to dig up some information in that area of state or that body of water and, and, and go from there. And if you got something good to talk about, send us an email and say you'd like to be on the show. We'd love to put you on here. Heck yeah. Right? Absolutely. All right, guys. We appreciate it, man. Talk to y'all next week. We out. This week's Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report was brought to you by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. Become a better southern hunter and angler and pick up your copy today wherever fine magazines are sold or save online at greatdaysoutdoors.com. And also brought to you by Southeastern Pond Management. If you want to grow big fish or healthier fish or just get your lake in better shape, call Southeastern Pond Management. You can call Norman Latona at 205-288-1371 or just look them up, southeasternpondmanagement.com and, and give Norman a call. And brought to you by You Do Outdoors. Check out You Do Outdoors on your app store, Google Play. It's a social media app for whatever you 
you do outdoors. This episode was brought to you by Brian Sand with National Land Realty. You already trust me with your fishing report, so trust me to help you find or sell that next piece of property as well. Just give me a call at 601-383-2344.